0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 196, and today we're sitting down with Dr. Richard Beck to talk about his book, Reviving Old Scratch, subtitled Demons and the Devil for the Doubters and the Disenchanted, and uh, this is a good, it's a good book, it's a good conversation, because what do you do with this very lofty topic of the devil and demons? When you're in a place of deconstruction, uh, rethinking your life and rethinking your faith, where does this topic fit into the very complicated puzzle? <laughs> what do we do with this? I was nervous to talk to him in this episode because this is a very big, this topic is a very big part of my past. Uh, in many ways, it's, it's wired into me in a lot of ways. And so it's one of those things that it's very tangled up right now in my thoughts It's a very big, tangly, knotty mess in my deconstruction thoughts that I don't really know exactly what to do with uh, at this time. And so I've tried to blog about it a little bit, and I feel like I don't really have a grasp on my thoughts. So I thought, you know what? Richard Beck seems to know what he's talking about in his book, so let's bring him on the show, and let's ask him some questions. And uh, I make a joke in the beginning, but he really helps me unpack some of my own religious trauma, let's say that. And uh, give me some different categories to think about the topic of Satan and demons and the kingdom of darkness and all this stuff. Because we often we often fall on, on one side or the other. It's either all the way in the extreme that says the devil is this real being, it's a real spiritual being floating around with his demons. The demons are fallen angels. Satan's a fallen angel. Uh, you know, there's entry points where you can get into your life and wreak havoc, do all this kind of stuff. Or the other side of the spectrum is all of that stuff is just like an illusion. It's all an allegory. It's all a parable, so to speak. And, and really those things are just pictures of like social injustices that we need to battle against. It's like one side of the spectrum or the other. It's, it's either real or it's not real. It's just talking about something else, some kind of system in the world that we need to take down. But Richard says, you know what? Both of those sides of the spectrum are missing the point. Uh, we really need to each side of that spectrum needs to do a little bit more digging to meet somewhere in the middle. And so Richard takes us to that middle point in the book and uh, in this episode as as well. So I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. Uh, in the show notes, I will put uh, a link to his book. I'll put a link to my book, uh, Rethinking Everything, which is my story of kind of my spiritual journey from the black and white thinking of uh, conservative evangelicalism slash fundamentalism, the, those messy kind of waters, uh, to this this wonderful world of color uh, that I find myself in today. We talk about the topic, topic of hell, uh, LGBTQ inclusion, biblical inerrancy, and the cross. And we just take the tables, we turn them over, and we just look at things from all sorts of different angles. And I had a lot of fun writing it. I've told been told a lot of people I had a lot of fun reading it. I've been told that some people didn't have as much fun reading it, but for the most part, the reviews have been pretty good. So head over to Amazon. It's self-published. It's available on Amazon. Head over there, check it out. Uh, just search Glenn Siepert book, and it will show up, or go to the show notes. The link is there. Uh, also in the show notes, we have links to Patreon and buy me a coffee if you want to support the show financially. Those are two places that you can do that. Uh, this is is my main job. I quit my job at Apple of 11 years to do this. Uh, This podcast is now going on four years old. So I quit my job back in September to do this. I have some social media uh, gigs. I do social media for Alexander John Shia at Quadrados. I do social media for Choir Publishing. I do some social media for Bart Ehrman. I do some social media for various other people as well. Generates a little bit of income. And Patreon is a big part of that, so all the money that we make here uh, goes to help pay the bills, like literally keep the lights on, literally put food on the table, uh, do all those different things. So if this podcast has encouraged you, inspired you, stretched you in your faith, those are two places to go to support it, Patreon, and buy me a coffee. Uh, music in the episode is for my friend Young Citizen. He's a hip-hop artist in Charlotte, North Carolina, doing great things in the world, uh, in the in the episode today are two songs that are some of his newest things, so head over to iTunes, Spotify, check him out, Young Citizen. So all that to say, my friends, this is episode number 196, four episodes shy of 200. We are inching our way there, and this is my conversation with the one and the only Dr. Richard Beck. Enjoy.
1: I've been busy searching for you, yeah, trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah. Just mind don't mind, don't play by the rules. I'm gonna make sure that I play my cards right. Intuition gave me signs that everything is alright, alright contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight, under pressure, feel the walls, are moving and it's getting tight, getting tight. the shuffle getting real. real I hope it lives on something good, I'm all in for the kill, kill. sometimes kill. it's getting kind of scary I'm in for the thrill, decisions on top of decisions like I chose a pill, the bottle getting kind of empty, temptations made its presence in the air, kind of tempting, shortcuts after question but it got on my attention uh oh and I forgot but did I all
0: right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, we're sitting down with my friend, Dr. Richard Beck, who wrote a book called Reviving Old Scratch, uh, Demons and the Devil for Doubters and the Disenchanted. And so, Richard, uh, welcome to the show, my friend. It's an honor to have this time with you.
2: Oh, excited. Excited to be with you. Uh, Thank- yeah, writing a book about the devil and get you <laughs> podcast invites. So here we are.
0: You're the man with the answers, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, some maybe.
0: Some. So before yeah. you answer all of my questions okay. uh, about Satan and demons and help me unpack some of my own religious trauma, <laughs> maybe uh, help us uh, understand a little bit more about yourself. You know, especially for people who aren't familiar with you and and your work. Who are you? Uh, what do you do? Some of the highlights of your journey.
2: Yeah, I am a, a college professor. I'm the mm-hmm. chair and professor of psychology at Abilene Christian University here in West Texas, and. Uh, I'm a blogger, and author, um, and as far as like religiously, I, I think your audience will understand I'm kind of one of those progressive deconstructing Christians, grew up conservative, but then started asking some big questions about my faith and where all this uh, uh, kind of stuff fits in my okay. life. What, what do you do with the Bible? Um, and, but as a part of that journey, uh, about 10 years ago, I started doing prison ministry. So the other thing to know about my context is on monday nights i lead a bible study for about 50 inmates at a maximum security prison Mm. and so my impulses towards like social justice took me out to that space just felt like i needed to get into a different social location but it was there where this book kind of began because i found myself there as kind of a social justice warrior interested in mass incarceration but then kind of trying to be pastorally present to Mm. inmates who spoke of the devil and spiritual um, attack and uh, spiritual warfare, some people call it, all the time. Yeah. And they wanted me to be active pastorally in those situations. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of was rubbing up against my skepticism and doubts and my deconstruction, and yet a need to kind of take those requests and those um, stories seriously. And so the book was kind of formed out of the the crucible of that mm-hmm. of that tension between mm-hmm. doubt and um, being pastorally relevant to a context that I found had a very different view of the devil and demons than I did.
0: I really appreciate that about the book because the book was not, you know, for our listeners, it's not like a, like this scholarly work where you did, you tried to do all this research, like present your research, but it's a very, you have that in there, but it's a very personal book. Like you can tell that the book came from a place of your own wrestling, which I really appreciate because it wasn't like you're trying to, um, like put up a front or kind of be something that you necessarily weren't. It was like, this is my story and this is kind of the conclusions I've come to. So I found that very helpful.
2: I appreciate that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. So talk to us about the a little bit more about the title of the book and kind of who this book is for the doubters and the disenchanted, maybe take a moment to maybe define that, uh, for us.
2: Yeah. Let me jump to the first part of the title because the the old scratch reference might be a little weird. Yeah, for, for so, sure. <laughs> uh, that was that was the publisher's choice to kind of name it that. Mm-hmm. Um, my 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 working title was Satan Interrupted, mm-hmm. uh, but they went with Reviving Old Scratch. And I, I tell the story: I was out at the Bible study, and my co-teacher uh, Herb Patterson was uh, leading a prayer. He's older than me; he's a boomer generation, and he, in the middle of this prayer, said, "Lord." Uh, protect us from old scratch. And as I tell in the book, I, I had my head down and I was like, what did he just say? What is that? <laughs> yeah, and after he concluded, I just asked the question out loud. I said, "Her, who is old scratch? And he was mm. incredulous. He was like, you, you've never heard of old scratch. I said, I have never heard of that. <laughs> but apparently old scratch was an old Southern term mm. uh, in the South for the devil. So mm-hmm. reviving old scratch is just a, a kind of a whimsical reference to the devil down here in the South. The, this, the subtitle, um, The Devil and Demons for Doubters and the Disenchantment, mm-hmm. disenchantment is a sociological term, and it's, it's contrasting a disenchantment with an enchanted age. And so mm-hmm. 500 years ago, the world was enchanted. And by that, sociologist means it was a world of the supernatural mm-hmm. and, and the miraculous and the magical and the occult. So God was real. The devil was real. Angels were real. Ghosts were real. Witchcraft was real. Um, so a supernaturalistic kind of environment, and how that just kind of was the cultural default centuries ago. Disenchantment describes that journey into this age that we have, an age of technology and science and skepticism um, and doubt, where belief in the supernatural, belief in God, um, is more difficult for us, And as we've seen in survey after survey, rates of Uh, atheism and agnosticism is is steadily increasing, uh, at least in the West. So we don't live in an enchanted context anymore, we live in a disenchanted context. So the book is written for people who have doubts and skepticism about the supernatural, and about the devil, uh, and the demonic, um, specifically.
0: Mm. So it's really is it, it's geared towards, I guess, people who then they don't, they don't believe so maybe like an atheist doesn't believe, god at all and also like the more progressive christians who are kind of rethinking kind of like you put yourself and myself in that deconstruction camp like people who are are really asking a lot of questions and trying to figure out how does what i know about science mesh and gel with all the stuff that i learned in my past
2: yeah i don't know if uh, uh, if it's for atheists but it's mm-hmm. somebody who is in that progressive deconstructing um journey yeah. and so they've they they Maybe have grown up with conversation about the devil or the demons, they obviously see those stories in scripture, Mm -hmm. but they prize kind of a scientific literacy and so kind of straightforward literalistic readings of scripture is something they're kind of pushing away from a little bit Mm -hmm. Um, and, and maybe that has to do with origins like in Genesis but then there's these other kind of supernatural things that the the miraculous or the demonic, and, and how do you make sense of those things as well? Uh, and so people are deconstructing those. Yeah. But the book was written because sometimes we almost deconstruct ourselves out of faith completely. Like yeah. we, we we try to question everything to the point where the very little is left over, and so there's kind of a just deconstruction is just kind of a way station, you know, on the exit. Uh, of faith. Sure. Um, So this book is written right at that crossroads to kind Mm -hmm. of say here, at least in this conversation about spiritual warfare, here, here are some maybe helpful ways to kind of think about it. um, So that can be rehabilitated, perhaps even in spite of our scientific skepticism um, about the supernatural.
0: Gotcha. I will say that I I talked to somebody um, online a while ago who had come across your book, and they identify more as agnostic, like they're kind of more in that world. They're, they're open to things, but they're not really sure. So they said that they had come across your work and that they, what they appreciated about your work was that it gave them a much different way to look at these stories of the Bible that talk about Satan and demons and things like that, because they were raised in that evangelical world. Like I was you know to believe that, you know, these are literal spiritual beings floating around, something like that. And so the way that you framed it helped give them a different framework for those passages, because I still love the Bible, is to appreciate it as a literary work, they just see it very differently. So you help put some language on stuff that they were thinking about.
2: Oh, that's good. No, that's, that's um, uh, encouraging. Um, I, I do think I do think there's a lot of smart people out there. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can give smarter takes on Christianity, um, uh, I, I think uh, we might see some people who are more attracted to yeah. stay in conversation or in the orbit of, of the faith, because There are things that faith does in our lives Mm -hmm. that kind of a secular humanism doesn't completely fulfill. Sure. And and so, yeah, so that's an encouraging story. Thank you for sharing that with me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So here's where I'm at with all of this stuff. And I'm going to share with you just a small piece of my story and then maybe ask you to respond to it. Um, So I grew up, like I said, in this very conservative evangelical world and in both college and seminary, I took classes called uh, Power Encounter where we learned all about Satan and and demons and exorcisms and and all the different things. And I took a class, a couple of classes, a couple of times called Divine Healing, where we learned about, you know, praying for the sick and told about how to deal with demonic forces that uh, we were told can manifest sickness, things like that. Uh, Courses called Soul Care, where we talked about, we had like modules, uh, we did like inner healing, things like that. But we had like modules where we would talk about spiritual warfare and again, casting out demons, um, all these different things. And so I'll say up front that those classes did a lot of good for me. It's not like those classes were bad. Um, they really helped me deal with uh, some of the things that I was navigating through at the time. And I, I wouldn't trade, like looking back on I wouldn't trade those moments for anything. Like in many ways, I think I'm a different person today. I'm a healed person because of a lot of the things I experienced and I learned about myself um, in those classes. But I can't tell you like how many times I participated in... Uh, like the praying side of an exorcism so being somebody who's on this team who's trying to pray out this demon out of somebody uh, but also somebody who was on the exercised part so I was the one who was being prayed for and so I'm in this place now where when I think about Satan I think about demons I think about those moments um, in my life and those experiences and they didn't feel traumatizing at all in the moment because I think a lot of people around me everybody was believing the same things so within this atmosphere of, of belief where this is just the way it is. But now that I'm out of that world, I'm kind of looking back on and reflecting on some of my experiences. I feel like very different about uh, some of the things that I, I learned, some of the things that I, that I experienced. So I think some of it was helpful. I think maybe some of it uh, also was not. And so I'm not like resistant at all to the idea of uh, Satan and demons, things like that. I don't, I don't feel like I fall into this disenchanted camp. Like I feel like maybe like I'm kind of there. Maybe I'm not like I've like one foot in the door, one foot out of the door. but I'm really hesitant to talk about or think about Satan as this literal being and these demons, like his army trying to you know, throw me off course during the day and looking for portals and things like that, entry points into my life. And so I'm in this place. I'm just wrestling, I'm trying to figure out like, how do I make sense of my past <laughs> and, yep. and all the things I experienced for many, many years of school in light of my present and the things that I'm learning. So I wanted to toss that out to you and just ask you to respond to it, because I think a lot of people listening fall into at least a similar, a similar camp.
2: Yeah. I think the people that struggle most with my book mm-hmm. are people that come from a very similar background of yours, that they, they have come from a you know a charismatic or a Pentecostal um, experience where, deliverance ministries and exorcism ministries, or just overt praying um, for demonic affliction to be lifted off of people was just a a, a part of, of the practice of that faith journey. And that they have felt that was unhelpful or even pretty damaging in some ways. And so for for them to revisit this part of the Christian um, fabric is uh, triggering and it brings up some old wounds. And And, and so I just want to just say that on the front end that that mm-hmm. anybody's struggling with that 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 this is a very delicate pastoral situation mm-hmm. and maybe this isn't the this isn't the part of the christian story that they kind of like have to jump into right away and, right. and, and not get, to start here <laughs> get figured out right right um, but, but I do think people who have got some distance from that, mm-hmm. like yours telling, and they, they've, they've healed up enough that they want to kind of come back and revisit that um, with a little bit more emotional distance, a little bit more objectivity. Um, they don't want to be totally reactive, because I think that's one of the troubles that we're seeing, especially on the, on the deconstructing and the ex-evangelical journey, is the way that that journey is almost excessively or exclusively reactive. It it doesn't have any positive content. It's just a negation or rejection of a prior trauma, which is necessary for psychological healing, right? To get a hard line of differentiation between the trauma and, and my health. That said, there is a journey after that as we talk about you know the journey from deconstruction to reconstruction where enough health and boundaries are in place where i can kind of revisit that and now start kind of adding some critical nuance um there so so to me the book is for that person if somebody's on the, on the kind of still wounded side. I don't, I don't know if this is, we need to start talking about the devil and and, and how the devil is important for your faith journey to, to recover um, a view of that. Yeah. So, so that's the first thing I would just say is, is we just have to be really pastorally sensitive to where people are in their journey and kind of say, this is okay. Yeah, but for yeah. those that are, that are saying, you know, I, I think there's something there. Cause I think you put your finger on it. You're, you're got your foot in the disenchanted, but not quite. Yeah. Um, One of the things after the writing of the book that I've wrestled with is what some scholars have described as the myth of disenchantment, Mm. that in the early days of the new atheists, which is now like, what is that? That's like 20 years ago now, a Mm -hmm. couple decades ago. There there was a sense that we were just going to make a very quick shift to secularism in our culture Mm -hmm. and that we were on our way to kind of a godless, post-Christian, non-believing, skeptical society. But that hasn't happened. And a lot of people see what's happening is a shifting of enchantments. It's it so people are turning away from a transcendent uh, view of God to something more more of an imminent spirituality. So this is the spiritual but not religious shift. But definitely, yeah. people are spiritual. Mm-hmm. So so this idea that somehow there's like just broad um, denial of the mm-hmm. supernatural or the demonic. I don't think that's true. I think most people believe something dark and spooky is going on out there. Um, there people are turning away from things like Christianity, but paganism's on the rise. Yeah. Paganism has yeah. its own view. Witchcraft has its own view of the demonic. Yeah. Um, people still believe in ghosts. Uh, so, so you're right. I don't know if we're dealing with hardcore skepticism here. So a lot of people are kind of saying, I do think maybe there's something kind of dark out there uh, forces that affect us. And, and, and clearly Christianity speaks about that. And even a lot of this stuff in paganism and witchcraft um, is a, is a borrowed metaphysic yeah. from the Christian faith. Yeah. Um, it kind of assumes a lot of the Christian um, even names for the demonic, like, like Satanism, is wholly parasitic upon the Christian right. uh, worldview in that sense. Hmm. Um, anyway, all i to say is, so I do think there are people that are kind of wanting to kind of think about this um, uh, in a way that's a little bit more separated from their, their earlier biography. Um, wow. And I also think there's benefits there. And the last thing I would say is one of the things that the book is trying to push against is it seems like there's two Uh, choices that people gravitate towards one is what you experience like this uh pentecostal charismatic kind of exorcism driven ministries like if we're talking about the devil or the demons we're talking about exorcisms or demonic affliction and praying the devil out of people Mm -hmm. or the progressive skepticism nothing like nothing to see here Mm -hmm. and to me my book is not filled with lurid stories about exorcism. In fact, the first chapter opens up with a guy asking me for an exorcism and me (laughs) declining. So it's not a book about stories of, lurid stories of exorcisms. It's saying there's this Hollywood vision of like from paranormal activity to the, the Conjuring movies, to the exorcist, the classic one, right? There's that view. And then there's this silence. But the Bible has a much richer and more interesting conversation that I think kind of is in the middle. um, that I try to focus on. So it's not, I'm not trying to rehabilitate those experiences that you were describing. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to kind of expand out, kind of say, I think there's a more healthy way the Bible thinks about the devil and and we don't need to kind of, uh, defend those ministries. Although we need to kind of pay attention to them as abuses, pastoral abuses that we dealt with.
0: Yeah, that's really good. So maybe that's a good transition because I was going to ask you about like, what is, in your point of view, like what is that middle ground that you're aiming for people to find? Because I told people that I was going to be talking to you, uh, a lot of listeners for the podcast. And a lot of people said, you need to ask him point blank. <laughs> like when, when I read the Bible and I read these stories about Jesus, uh, wh- what am I reading when it comes to demons and Satan? Like what, what exactly is going on there? So what is that middle ground for people who are on the super spiritual side, where there's a demon around every corner, the other side, where it's you know all scientific stuff like that. What is the middle place that you're trying to get everybody yeah. to come to? You
2: know, I think the first. Uh, this isn't anything I talk about in the book, but mm-hmm. but as I reflect on your story, I want to just kind of put a pin in this and just kind of say I, I do think one of the biggest blind spots in charismatic Pentecostal spirituality is the degree to which these exorcism deliverance ministries are wholly operating upon Christians themselves. Is typically Christians working on other Christians. Yeah. Um, and I, to me, that is the, that's the biggest fil- uh, theological and biblical mistake mm. that charismatic and Pentecostals make because there is no evidence in scripture that, that the faithful who have been filled with the Holy Spirit um, have to undergo um, right, these routine demonic cleansing. Yeah. That's just not a part of scripture. Yeah. And, and I think And it's weird because these are the very same faith traditions that have a high view of the power of the Holy spirit. So to me, I just think that that is one of the big blind spots. If if you are a Christian and you're a faithful person and you've been filled with the Holy spirit uh, and somebody says, you have a demon in you, that just doesn't make any sense. That's just beyond anything that scripture reveals to us. And so I just want to kind of say that I I, I just think uh, anyway, I just think that's a, a thing that charismatics and Pentecostals have not thought through very clearly. Yeah. Okay. But about the middle ground,
0: mm-hmm.
2: when you, when you go, when you look at um, the way, let me approach you this way, the way progressives and uh, conservatives see the problem of evil in the world, uh, I, what they tend to do is they kind of split the baby in half. And and in many ways, the Bible has a more holistic vision Of What's kind of broken in the world from like a spiritual perspective. So I'd argue that the liberals and the conservatives have both have an impoverished uh, moral grammar, because they're only looking at pieces of something the Bible saw as a whole picture. So, for example, so if you think about the classic ground zero uh, scripture of spiritual warfare, it's in Ephesians, right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers, the forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms, right? So there's this phrase here, our battles against the principalities and powers um, in the heavenly places. And what I point out in the book is that when the New Testament authors talk about those powers, they're not talking about the exorcists. They're not talking about devils inside of people. The principalities and powers were kind of hierarchical power structures. Um, they were thinking literally about kind of cosmic rulers and forces and how that played out in physical powers and structures. So they're thinking more about governments and kings and rulers than they are about casting devils out of somebody you know, in a basement of a church. They, they were thinking more environmentally about forces that were holding the world under kind of a spiritual bondage. Mm-hmm. And the point there is our battle is against those, those external forces that are keeping the world kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a political aspect to that. And so there is a social justice um, aspect where these powers create what we would call oppression in the world today. And so this is where I think progressives um, properly have a view of spiritual warfare as, as marching in protest, about dealing with racism and dealing with poverty, dealing with sex trafficking and mass incarceration. Everything that a progressive brings to the table and says, this is my fight against the devil is properly understood as in, being included in the biblical view against our battle against the principalities and powers. Um, Where they lose, I think, the holistic view on that side is the moral dimension. Everything is 100% systemic, and they lose any sense of a moral dynamic there. On the other side, I think conservatives have emphasized the moral journey, right, that sin and evil and the devil is primarily a personal individual journey to battle my own inner demons. Um, And yet the conservatives miss it because they miss that political injustice side of the ledger as well. And, and, and so say something like homelessness or addiction or other or mass incarceration or racism, these are these are private problems that we just have to repent of and that there are therefore no systemic causes to those things. Mm-hmm. So I would yeah. I would say just as a first take, to me, that is the healthier middle ground. Where, where the Bible is giving us a, a bigger vision of, of what's going wrong in the world. It's political, it's systemic, but it's also moral and personal. And those two things are all wrapped up together in a very complex knot. And I, so I think the Bible gives us a very hospitable way to think about our problems because it's more complex and nuanced than what you typically get on Twitter or Facebook, mm-hmm. which is it's all moral or it's all systemic. Yeah. Um, where the Bible's saying no the battle against the principalities and powers it's a both and it's a both and
0: so it's almost like saying to the progressives like focus on the systemic stuff but don't forget about your role in the systemic stuff your moral your moral place but also saying to the other side focus on your stuff for sure but don't forget about the systemic stuff as well that we're all a part of yeah.
2: I think the Bible presents us that holistic vision.
0: Yeah. And I think a good,
2: another good example of this is because we're doing this um, recording on a Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Yeah. And I think Martin Luther King Jr. is a really great example of the more holistic moral grammar that is getting lost. Mm. Um So, for example, King is fighting for justice, Mm -hmm. but because he had a bigger vision um, that comes from his Christian faith, he was still able in that vision to call for love for the oppressor. Mm -hmm. And he's able Mm -hmm. to do this both and because he was able to see both the, the victim and the oppressed as enslaved by a larger evil that both parties need to be emancipated from. That, that ability to kind of see both the oppressed and the oppressor as caught in a matrix of evil, I think is what the Christian vision of spiritual warfare gives us because it allows us to be push as hard as we can for justice. And yet at the same time, see the oppressor as a victim himself um, or herself. Um, but you have to have a common enemy. and And, and that common enemy is what the Bible describes as uh, the Satan mm-hmm. um, or or the or the adversary that we're all trying to be emancipated and liberated from.
0: yeah, and you talk in the book about how the word Satan refers to adversary, like you said, and you kind of present this idea that Satan or the Satan is anything that is in opposition to the good or to the mm-hmm. holy that that God is trying to bring into the world. And so, I think that for me was a very helpful way to look at it because in that sense, like Satan's all over the place, <laughs> right? Like if you think about the yep. world today, think about our individual lives, like all the different things that are pressing in on us as, as individuals, as a society, like there's so many ways that Satan is active in trying to pull us away from that good.
2: Yeah, and, and to me, that's the, the easiest way to get an on-ramp in this conversation is just to recognize that everybody believes in Satan, even yeah. atheists believe. And Satan and by that I mean all of us have a vision of a of a what the Old Testament calls Shalom yeah. where all all exists in peace and wholeness and balance. I don't yeah. care if you're an atheist or a Christian We all have a vision of what of what Christians would call the kingdom of God yeah. that that good great place they're all aiming towards and yet we look out our windows and we look on our screens and we see, all the forces that are being antagonistic to that right and and all of those forces of opposition and and antagonism and a lot of them are in my own heart right there's in ways my i am also kind of contributing to the mess i think everybody recognizes that the world is broken Mm -hmm. and then if i said you well why is it broken you're going to start listing things about why it's broken that's the satan right that's that's the headwind that's blowing in our faces, that's causing progress to be slow and halting. It's causing us to hurt ourselves and to hurt each other. Mm -hmm. And, and, And people can, I leave it kind of open to people to say, you can envision those forces as, you know, evidence of a personal devil, or you can see them in kind of more abstract kinds of ways. But I think we all fundamentally recognize that we're in a fight to make the world a better place. Yep. that's the vision of spiritual warfare that the scripture gives us the world's broken and dislocated yeah. from the moral to the political yeah um uh, the children of light are to involve themselves in that as like as salt and light to to heal and leaven
0: yeah
2: um the world
0: yeah that's really that's really helpful so talk to me then about like i'm thinking about like the gospels i'm trying to think of like what maybe some of our listeners might be thinking in terms of like these stories of Jesus. So is it fair to say then that like when, when the writers talk about these moments that Jesus has this encounter with some kind of demonic force, is the writer, in your estimation, is the writer being poetic? Is he being parabolic? Is he kind of writing this story in order to get across this point that there are systems, that there are um, morals there all these different things on a, on a larger level on a personal level that we need to battle against like is for lack of a better way to say it like is the writer making up this stuff in order to get across mm-hmm. a bigger picture because i know for somebody who's deconstructed and you've obviously gone down this road you start to really rethink about what the bible is and how the bible you know why the writers wrote what they did and things like that so i'm just curious as to what are your thoughts like on that when it comes to these many stories in the gospels yeah. having this encounter Even when demons are named, like Legion, you know, these demons have names and things like that. Like what what are your thoughts about that?
2: Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, I think the first thing I would say is um, I think there's a pretty much a strong historical consensus, even among um, agnostic or atheistic historians and Bible scholars, that Jesus of Nazareth was noteworthy for being um, a worker of wonders. Yeah. Um, and also like an exorcist
0: yeah like what's going this, on whatever it was he's he oh, right. yeah
2: <laughs> i think and then this like even secular historians are saying and to be clear these these were, were common stories that jesus wasn't yeah. the only person in that time of place yeah. that was known for yeah. um, exorcisms mm-hmm. or miraculous kinds of things mm-hmm. so um so but there seems to be a clear consensus that that his power over unclean spirits was a kind of a distinctive aspect about his ministry um, at that time in that place. And so I don't think that the gospel writers were making anything up. I don't think these were fairy tales. I think in that sense, there's very good documentation that whatever Jesus was doing um, in his time and place, these were real things going on. The next question is, okay, well, what are those real things what what was happening there so these aren't fairy tales these are you know historical accounts of something that was happening at a time and place it's really hard to wrap our heads around and so obviously we can say those were unclean spirits um and and demons um i've seen people make the argument that these that that what we're witnessing in scripture is um kind of psychosomatic you know illnesses that that people were internalizing Stresses and strains, people dealing with schizophrenia and other kinds of things, um, and, and we see that some of these stories, like the convulsions of a young person in the Gospels, is described as an unclean spirit, but it's also given a medical term of you know epilepsy, mm-hmm. and and Jesus is healing healing these things. Um, so you can look at it from a kind of a psychiatric, kind of a primitive psychiatric a diagnosis there regardless jesus was bringing kind of a mental stability and healing like you think of legion demons um you know the 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 sign that he had been emancipated from the spirits is the people come in he is he is in his right mind right he's he's been restored as as a whole person Mm -hmm. Uh, you can go down that you can go down that route as well that's a little bit more deconstructing because you don't need to appeal to any supernatural thing at all yeah. Um, you can kind of see it more as um, primitive psychiatry if you want to go down that route um, and, and I'm not I'm not going to insist on anybody taking a specific um, interpretation on the ideology of those things and and just ask people to kind of step back and say whatever Jesus is bringing in the kingdom of God is represented in that sane man after the exorcism
0: yeah
2: that we're all looking for um, a sanity in our own lives. And we're also looking for peace uh, in our world. And we should take proactive steps towards bringing about that healing. Yeah. Now, some of us would, you know, so it depends. It depends on where on your journey, how much you can tolerate. Right. I, I think right. the other thing I would just say is that is that for the people that are like hardcore skeptical, like your listeners are just like, I just don't believe any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I would just like to point out that like, Like, we are in the minority on this view. Um, uh, I was at a conference once, and I described this as the the colonialism of disenchantment. By that, I mean the people that are most disenchanted and most skeptical about the supernatural tend to be white, college-educated people. And yet these very same white college – or it's a white, college-educated, progressive Christians because they're on this journey to deconstruct. So you're talking about white, progressive Deacons, you know, um uh, college-educated Christians can't believe any of this stuff. Yeah. I just want to just point out that like we're on the minority on this. Okay.
0: okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Most people in the United States believe believe in the devil or demons. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the reason why I call it the colonialism of disenchantment, because if you go to Africa, mm-hmm. um, you go to South America, you go to Haiti, you go to the east those people believe in the devil yeah Yeah. and so it's it's a little strange for progressives who worry about colonialism to then kind of take their skepticism in kind of an elitist paternalistic way and kind of go like hey all you darker skinned people you believe in that superstitious stuff but we here in the west right we (laughs) right we we're the kind of intellectual elite so you gotta put you know like that's what i'm talking about that colonial kind of sense that we in our doubt have reached the pinnacle of european society and we look back at these colonial nations um with a or darker skinned brothers and sisters and kind of go like, yeah, they're a little superstitious, yeah you know, but they'll get over it. They'll grow up one day. I, I, I would, I'm just saying that to some of your audience because before you just kind of settle into your kind of elite progressive educated skepticism to just allow yourself to be checked a little bit in your skepticism. Yeah. That's what happened to me out at the prison. Cause I mm-hmm. went out there for social justice purposes but then when i start hearing stories of their struggles with the demonic yeah. i had two moves one could have been elitist and paternalistic yeah. oh pat them on the head i know you guys still believe in that stuff but i'm a college professor you, and right. i know that's yeah. not re- i know that's not real right or i could have checked my privilege and said maybe i'm the one that can learn something here okay. on the margin society and and maybe take that a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean just imbibing the whole thing. Just sure. believe it all. Sure. And in many ways, my book was written to help me find that middle ground from just yeah. incredulity. Like you tell me a story about the demonic. I just believe it. Yeah. But also the book was written to check my own privilege in that sense. My own kind of epistemic privilege that I know the truth.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And say maybe maybe I can should be open here. Maybe I'm the weird one. I'm the minority, um, and and, and it have some openness. So that's the other thing I'd say to somebody who yeah, kind of yeah. says I, I can't believe that those things are real. I'd say well maybe check that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe be open. I don't think you have to believe in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you might just kind of say I don't know. Maybe you know possibly.
0: Yeah, um, and I think that's important because I think you know for a lot of people I know a lot of my listeners you know, left that evangelical world because of that elitist mentality, that, that idea that it's our way or the highway, you know, you have to believe A, B, and C, or you're not one of us like that, that created a lot of problems for people. And so a lot of people who are listening to this, they, they left that world, but to your point, it's very easy to become that again, but in a different world and kind of in that different sense of like, Oh my goodness like how can anybody possibly believe that because we know a b and c about science and the world and you know back then they didn't know all those things and now we do so to your point I think that's really important to check ourselves um, you know in, in in this topic but also in other topics as well yeah one of the things that you know Brian McLaren I'm sure you've heard of him mm-hmm. I don't even really know him yeah he uh he came on the show a while back and he said one of the the greatest things he's learned in kind of talking to people who um are part of the kind of tribe he was part of or maybe a a different tribe altogether is to kind of say in a conversation instead of saying well that can't possibly be this is the way that I see it you know kind of arguing debating is to say you know interesting like I never thought of it like that tell me more about why you think that because you might learn something to your point something you never even thought of before just by listening to somebody else's story about why do they believe about you know the demons are real why do they believe this about satan like you don't have to believe that like you you don't have to believe like they do but you don't know what you're going to learn from somebody as a result of hearing their story but why they do believe what they do
2: yeah because i i do uh because yeah i think deconstructing christians and progressive christians are weird paradoxes (laughs) right and and for (laughs) example for example like (laughs) like uh like you'll see progressive Christians really interested in, in like indigenous spirituality, yeah, like yeah. native American spirituality. Yeah, and, yeah. and and so, but, but to believe in native American spirituality, you're going to have to have a, you're going to have to have a belief in the supernatural, right. Yeah. You have to have the belief in spirits yeah. and, and you're going to, and they have their own kind of demonology in that world as well. well. And so it's like the, this supernaturalism, I can't believe in, it doesn't exist at all. And yet then I will like, just go hard, hardcore into native american spiritualities
0: yeah.
2: or um you know or or witchcraft we're seeing mm-hmm. like a, a rise in people kind of being interested in, in witchcraft and yeah. so so it's or, or or lighting of candles or the burning of sage and so yeah. so a lot of these progressive christians are rejecting like i said it's it's not so much about like i said before about a disenchantment but a shifting of enchantments yeah in, into kind of a classic monotheistic enchantment to something that has a more kind of pagan spiritual feel and and one of the benefits of that movement in, in in many people's minds is it's it's more egalitarian it emphasizes the divine feminine more yeah um it's it's uh it's not very uh It's not driven by orthodoxy, right? You can kind of dabble and mix it all up. So there's some just the perfect spirituality suited for a contemporary consumeristic world where you can kind of pick and choose. But that said, I'm just pointing out you're not opting for hardcore skepticism. You you are believing in some spiritual realm that has dark malevolent forces in it you got to deal with. So sometimes I find the whole skepticism among progressives is a right. bit, hypocrit- a bit hypocritical.
0: Yeah, but yeah. There are sure. some that
2: go all a- go completely atheistic, right? But
0: not not all of them. Yeah, it's funny because I mean, you know, for me, yeah. About I guess like two years ago, I was ready to kind of like you said earlier, just burn it all down. Like it's especially all this stuff with angels like demons and Satan. Like I don't believe any of it anymore. Like I just I can't do it. There's got to be another way to think about it. And I was just ready to just dismiss the whole thing. And then I, I had a conversation with a guy named Bob Dotto about a year ago, and he's a, a Christian uh, spiritist. And so he, he, his study is isn't in isn't the spiritual world. He's a very progressive thinking guy. Uh, he's done a lot of deconstruction, but he, he, he studies like ancestral spirits and all these different things. I was like, interesting. So there's somebody in this progressive world who really is very enchanted in the sense that he... I mean, he, you know, talks about talking with spirits, all these different things. I'm like, interesting how these two worlds have come together. And that really made me kind of reopen up the door to this. Be like, well, maybe I don't have to dismiss everything from my past because like I said earlier, some of it was quite, quite traumatizing as I reflect on it, but maybe as I heal from these different things and I kind of process through some of this stuff, I can readopt or reintegrate, I guess, some different things from my past life into my current life and see what the spirit might do with it going forward.
2: No, I agree. I think I think as we've seen the journey from ex-evangelicalism and deconstruction go on for now for like a couple of decades, that kind yeah. of became a main thing. I yeah. think you're seeing this, this progressive re-enchantment. Yeah. And it tends not to be for, like toward Christian re-enchantments, but kind of other surrounding enchantments. Uh, indigenous spiritualities is one example of that. Uh, recovery of the divine feminine, those kinds of things. So you're right. That's a whole kind of thing that I don't know. People as people kind of go back toward reconstruction, you're seeing a progressive reenchantment, yeah. um, but in but in unique ways. Yeah, that'd be a whole huge podcast for you to go chasing after. You know. Yeah,
0: you're you're kind of my first one to really uh, dive back into this topic. So I, yeah. I appreciate you taking the time for me. But we're just about out of time. I don't want to keep you too much longer. But this has been very helpful for me. Uh, But before I let you go, where can people find you online to interact with you and and your work?
2: Yeah, if they want to read the book, Mm -hmm. I've written seven books and you can go to Amazon and and look at my name, look at my author page. I'm a blogger. Uh, I write Monday through Friday every week at Experimental Theology. And I also cross post that on Substack. So if you're a Substack person, you can find me on Substack, find me on Blogger, Experimental Theology
0: or Amazon. Um, Yep. Awesome. Well, I'll put all the links to that in the show notes and we'll do it again sometime soon. Now, I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun.
1: Thank you so much. Everyone for an exchange, trying to make a little change. Coming up on the tray, take that to the bank, yeah, make sure you maintain. Little money make it dance. Climbing up on the chain, yeah, number one on the range. Everyone for an exchange, trying to make a little change. Coming up on the tray, take that to the bank, yeah, make sure you maintain little money make it dance climbing up on the chain yeah number one on the red here go my plate i collect i'm taking whatever i get i'm constantly chasing the check make sure my mental a checked. one thing i can never forget i'm seeking for financial freedom i'm set can settle for nothing or less i'm not the one to finesse about to be prompts notification, the shade ignore the dodge. over here hop and i came up and i'm moving these columns one click then boom. boom, money transform zoom. zoom, bank account start to bloom. bloom, no need to assume zoom. Everyone for an exchange, to make a little change. change, coming up on the trade. trade, take that to the bank, yeah, make sure you maintain, make little money make you dance. dance, climbing up on the chain, yeah, number one on the ranks, everyone for an exchange, to make a little change. change, coming up on the trade. trade, take that to the bank, yeah, make sure you maintain, make Little money make it dance. Climbing up on the chain, yeah. Number one on the rear. Yeah. Celebrate, it's a good day, I'm getting paid. On a new level, it's in my face. Throwing it bags, I need to save, it's on locked. Watching my back as it's hot. The numbers, I'm moving the stock. No time to waste on the clock, I'm hitting the big on my way to the top. Make sure my family are good, I'm sharing the work, cause it's equal to lot. We all got our heads in the pot, the motto is we all we got. Huh? The ones who died to do everything that I forgot It's all love, I in it to win it Either you win it or not Everyone for an exchange Trying to make a little change Coming up on the trade Take that to the bank, yeah Make sure you maintain Little money make it dance Climbing up on the chain, yeah Number one on the ranks Everyone for an exchange, trying to make a little change, coming up on the train, take that to the bank, yeah, make sure you maintain, little money make a dance, climbing up on the chain, yeah, number one on the ranks.